Welcome to Talent X, the Talent Experience Podcast featuring authentic conversations on the future of work, empowering you to better understand and deliver a best in class, future proofed career experience. For more insightful conversations, visit talentxpodcast.com. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Talent X Podcast. Hello, I'm John Holland, and welcome to Talent X, the Talent Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Ron Thomas. Ron is an old friend of mine and is the managing director of strategy focus of the Strategy Focus Group, an international consulting firm based in Dubai, and the former CEO of Great Place to Work in the Gulf States, and was CHRO of Al Rana Group, which is based in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. He's also a senior faculty member of the Human Capital Institute, covering the Middle East, North Africa, and the Asia Pacific region and he's a visiting professor at the Global Human Resources Leadership Institute at the Howard University School of Business in Washington, DC. Ron has a resume about twice as long as what I just said, but that's <laughs> plenty. And so uh, again, I've known Ron for a long time, way back to when he was Vice President for Human Resources for Martha Stewart. And that was oh, after he'd done stits at IBM and Xerox. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Ron. How are things in the Middle East? Things are good. Uh, a little hot today, but things are good. Things are good. Glad to Great. be here, too. Glad to be here. Well, we are glad that we <clears throat> have you here. Okay, we've got a lot to talk about. So let's start with this. I know you do a lot of speaking throughout the Middle East, Africa, and Asia. And even with the global lockdown, you still have been doing presentations via Zoom and other virtual channels. What are you hearing from businesses and other organizations out there? What are their concerns right now during this tumultuous year and what are they doing to address them? Uh, so that's going the way I would present that is twofold. Um, one is for essential workers because I tend to know a lot of the executives and the essential workers from hospitals and grocery stores, as well as, you know, so-called normal businesses. Everyone is trying to figure out then what the new normal is going to be, reimagining the workforce. And that could be something as simple as, are we going to have a full office with 100% occupancy? Or are we gonna allow people to work from home? So one of the things that's kind of unique in this region, and I don't mean to use a broad brush, but the workforce policies are kind of rigid, not a lot of flexibility as it relates to work from home. And um, so because of the lockdown, people had to work from home. And you had managers who were, in a lot of cases, concerned about productivity um, because this is the first time they had ever experienced this model. But one of the findings was that people were more productive and people enjoyed being home. Now, the repercussions that's going to come around from that is that now you're asking people to come back in the office. A lot of people are feel ill at ease from a safety perspective coming back into an office environment. So what, what, what is the policies that are gonna change? So I've been advising you know, my clients, take your workforce policies, look at them and try and re reimagine this new workforce because the workforce you had uh, before is not gonna be the workforce you're gonna have in the recovery stage and, and moving into the next, uh, the next modeling of work. Um, because there's been so many repercussions. When you look at disruptors, I mean, it's all over the place from technology. You know, you mentioned earlier, 
all of your your interaction with your team members is now over some type of technology. Um, in a lot of countries, this was banned. In Dubai, um, a Skype calling, Skype video, WhatsApp calling, Facebook calling, all of that was banned. So the government is struggling with how are they going to open it up because on one side, all of the telecoms are owned by the government. So it kind of depends upon the area, um, geographical region you're working from, but the model of the workforce, I would say, is front and center. And, and, and how is that, how, how are we going to make these adjustments? Because in a lot of cases, they were, they were wholesale layoffs. Uh, Emirates Airlines, which is the premier airline here in Dubai, uh, laid off 9,000 people here uh, last week. And those were people that was, were basically associated with the plane model, the A380s, which is the big double-decker. Not going to be needing that for a while. A380 pilots and the staff that manned those flights were the, the vast majority of people that were let go. And I think this is their third round. And they're not projecting aircraft, uh, uh, the airline industry to bounce back until 2022. So... <clears throat> what is the workforce going to look like? So from a strategic workforce planning to talent management and taking it all facets, even something as simple as how are you going to conduct interviews? How are you going to conduct onboarding? Are you, you, are you not letting people come to the office? If I have to interview five people, maybe I don't, I don't feel comfortable doing that. So again, it falls back to technology. So everything is going to have to be ripped up and looked at again. Now, stop me here if I'm wrong, Ron, but isn't Dubai one of these places that's wired really well? They have good Wi-Fi and everybody has it in their home and such. So it strikes me, it probably, and I'll use this term as a euphem euphemistic one, they probably had political concerns, which is why they didn't allow for the various things like Skype and Zoom and stuff to, to be used because they certainly don't have the problem we've had here in the United States, which is a lot of people who got pushed home to work at home found out that their local Wi-Fi that was great when they were just at home a couple of hours a day working on it doesn't do so well when everybody's at home working eight hours. So we had that problem here that first week. The Internet was very slow. And I called a friend of mine at the, at, at, uh, that worked for Eddie Salat. He said, Ron, think of this. Your normal usage during the day, a normal day, would possibly be, say, 1,000 people, and all of a sudden, it's 500,000, and everybody's pulling. He says, so we're working to try and boost that up. So that's one point. Um, they were able to overcome that. But when Dubai and a lot of these regions were being so-called set up and to, to become the modern metropolis they are now, um, the government were, drove... Uh, the telecom industry. We have two telecoms here, Eddie Salat and Du, and they're both owned by the government, the same as a utility. So that was kind of one of the reasons, not so much for, for trying to tamp down dissent and all those kinds of things, because, you know, everybody can get a VPN and you can still do whatever you want to do. And I think when I lived in Saudi Arabia, it was really, really tough there. Um, but I've read someplace that Saudi Arabia has the highest penetrations of VPNs than any other country on the planet because they were trying to circumvent. So, yeah, the government plays a huge role. Um, but one of the there was always discussion around how are we going to do this? Because if you're if you're 
advertising yourself as a modern, modern uh, uh, business metropolis, and you're trying to say, if you're going to locate in the Middle East, devise the place to do that. But then on the, on the other side, you've got all the, the technology locked down. So a lot of the so-called big shots of the region were speaking out on that, really speaking strongly about it. And all of a sudden, this comes through, and everything's now open. So there's a lot of discussion in the government now as to, are we just going to open this thing up and maybe take a hit? And it, it is what it is. Okay. Well, I want to get on to something else here because you were kind enough to share one of your recent presentations with me. And when I was looking at the slides, I saw that one of the things that you're talking about when you do a presentation is the three R's of COVID, respond, yeah. recover, and reimagine. Can you talk a little bit about that and how uh, that pertains to organizations in your part of the world? Okay. Um, there's a technique I use sometimes that's called a journey map. So a journey map, basically, if you think of, a, of an employee, the employee life cycle, employee applies for the job, employee uh, goes to interviews and all those kinds of things until the time they leave there. So that's a long period of time. So when you think about the, the so-called three R's that I came up with, respond, recover, and reimagine, what was the first day that you went into total lockdown? You were responding to the virus. And all during that time, you know, people were upskilling as, as well as the technology, virtual meetings, how do you manage a team of people? There was all, all of this uncertainty um, once it first hit. And then uh, after a period of time, they started saying, okay, we're going to, so the vice version was this, we're going to open it back up at 50% with all these restrictions. So that was kind of recovered. So co companies were trying to figure out, okay, if we open back up at 50%, the workforce, you can only have 30% of the people inside of the office. So what happens to people that don't want to come in the office? So in that stage, everyone was trying to figure out how are we going to begin walking back to a closer to a normal? And once we have, we're going through that, maybe, I think now I'm gonna say it's maybe been three to four weeks. And then all of a sudden now it's back to normal. Now companies are in that stage trying to figure out a, a reimagining what this new workforce is gonna look like. And that's what I was talking about at the top of the discussion was the, how is this model going, how's it going to look? I read some research the other day that said that CFOs, their main concern during this lockdown was cost, but they were thinking, of, thinking that, do I really need three floors on this expensive strip of land? Because if 50% of our workforce is going to be working from home or working from anywhere, I can save a lot of cost by cutting the space. So that was a CFO's concern. Marketing concern was that if everyone's locked down and everyone is now doing everything across technology, so my marketing model has to be reviewed. Technology, how are we going to enable people to have Zoom meetings and understand all this new technology? That was their concern. So everyone in this reimagining phase is going to have to kind of rethink their function. So there's a slide I use. If you think of a pie and you think of slices in that pie and one of the slices could be IT, one slice could be marketing, uh, you know, one slice could be operation facilities, whatever it is. And then you have the people side of it. 
So the people side or the people slice is going to connect to all of those. So when I talk to connecting the dots, all of that is going to have to be put into some kind of coherent strategy in our reimagining stage, which is the stage that we're in now. So when I talk about these disruptors, I think there's eight. Um, th those eight segments are going to have to be knitted and weaved together as we try and figure out what the next uh, phase or normal or whatever is going to be. Two other areas that you talk about, I know in your presentations, are the boom and bust cycle of the workforce and new skills and competencies. Can you talk about that or talk about those like a little bit? Because those are ones that jumped out at me as sort of really current and right in front of us now that I know a lot of organizations are struggling with. Yeah. So I'll give you essential workers because I interviewed a CEO for a major hospital. And he's told me that he's kind of keep taking notes every day. Every night he comes in, he's writing down what happened, what worked, what didn't work, what could he build upon? Because he's thinking reimagining phase in doing that. So he, he, he noticed that there were nurses who, with, I, without portfolio, just a normal nurse, stepped up to the plate. Whereas a lot of the people that were uh, titled, managers, supervisor, whatever it is, they kind of slunk back because they weren't, they weren't, they weren't used to dealing in that with all this ambiguity. And so that new leader popped up and he said, I noticed those throughout, whether it was the people that were cleaning the room, just took charge and started doing things. He said, these are the people I'm going to have to think about developing these people because they showed us something here and we're going to have to build upon this. So I always tell leaders that during this phase, you should be laser focused on the interactions of your people, what they're doing, who's stepping up, who may be challenged, because a lot of the people you may have in charge did not step up because they're used to, to a, a normalcy. And all of a sudden, when there's all this change going about, they're not comfortable in that environment. So skills, vir virtual leadership skills is something that you probably would have never thought of years ago. How do I manage a team when I'm used to walking in a room and I've got my entire team, I can spend some time here, spend some time here. But from a virtual interaction, that skill set is different because if I'm sitting at home, I can be distracted easily. There's a lot of dynamics that come into play. So virtual leadership skill, that's a, that's a capability of all leaders that's going to have to kind of try and figure this out because this is our new way of doing work. And do I have the skills to operate in this new environment? Supervisory level of people that you have shown something, these are people you want to begin to develop from a virtual perspective in a lot of cases because maybe that's where they, the new model is going to you know, pan out from there. So skills and capabilities, when you look at from the financial perspective, when you look at the marketing perspective, do we have the skills to change from print marketing or standard marketing to all social marketing? Because maybe our skill set was rooted into another time frame, and now everything is done. Even say, take, take in terms of the grocers, the grocery stores started uh, online shopping. And this was the first time they had really experimented with that. And there were so many problems. So they looked at logistics, and then they said logistics is going to have to be revamped. The whole customer experience from the technology that I can go online and order things is going to have to be upskilled. 
So regardless of where you sit, there's some capabilities that's going to have to be strengthened. Now, in talking about skills and such, uh, do you find that companies in the Middle East and organizations, are they thinking and trying to get a handle on having to reskill a good chunk of the workforce to deal with the things that have developed or that they've seen come up out of their response to the lockdown? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for the most part, all of them realized that we had no idea. Because see, in a normal, in a normal set, a normal, uh, in normalcy, everyone is just kind of walking through and day to day, you can come in and kind of be blindfolded in doing what you're doing. All of a sudden, that's disrupted. And now you've got to try and figure out. So even from a CEO's perspective, you know, I was talking about the difficulty of coming in and you're in, you're in panic mode from the time he walks in the hospital as the CEO. Or the CHRO says his people are so concerned because they're on the front lines and people are coming in, mask are mandatory. They don't feel comfortable in that environment. A lot of them stepped up to the plate. A lot of these people have shown leadership capabilities and we began to start developing those people. Now, the executives that were smart were watching all of this, analyzing all of this, because there's some strong points that came up that they can build upon going into the reimagining phase. Well, Ron, I'd love to keep chatting. I could go all day about this. I know you can too, but it looks like we're running out of time. And so there's always one last question that we like to ask everybody who comes on the podcast right before we close that I want to ask you too. And it's this, here at the Talent X podcast, we wholeheartedly believe that everyone should have a job that they love, one they're passionate about. So Ron, what do you love about what you do? So our workday starts on Sunday. And you know, when you ask people from, from our US perspectives, everybody talks about TGIF, but nobody talks about TGIS. Um, <laughs> a TGIM from a U.S. perspective. I'm kind of the TGIS. I cannot wait for Sunday to come around. Uh, Saturday, which is the day preparing to come back to work. I enjoy what I do. It's not work for me. And I had this conversation with someone yesterday and I said, I'm in the latter stages of my career, but for the past, say, seven years, I've been at a point that I absolutely enjoy what I do. And even if I weren't getting paid to do it, I would still do it. And it's just a joy to do what I do. I interact with some of the most interesting people. Um, and I travel the world talking to people in other regions. I was on the phone with someone from China earlier in the week and someone from Singapore on yesterday. I have some meetings today with, with, with a, a group from India later this afternoon, and it's just mind-boggling. And I would have never thought when I was in New York or when we first met that it would have transpired to this. So I say this to people who may be struggling in your career. The thing that you need to kind of focus on is that what do you want to be when you grow up and what do you get more joy out of? Because something as simple as understanding and understanding what you really enjoy and try and see if there's a connection there. If you can get over that hump, it's not work anymore. Well, Ron, that has to be the best description of a passionate job that you love that I've heard of anybody we've had so far <laughs> on the Talent X podcast. So 
Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. It's been a great conversation and you gave us a lot of wonderful insights from another part of the world. We really appreciate you being here. So this is John Holland wrapping up another edition of the Talent X podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Talent X podcast. For more talent experience and future of work conversations, visit talentxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at TalentXPodcast. Or join the conversation with hashtag TalentXPodcast on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. TalentX, the Talent Experience Podcast, was brought to you by the fabulous Fuelies at Fuel50.